six-year-old Alice was talking with her mother one day, and she said, Mom, she said, I wrote God a letter. And she said, this is what I wrote, dear God, instead of letting people die and always having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? Love, Alice. Easter is God's answer to this letter. Easter is when God opened the way for us to live with him forever. Easter opens the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins. Easter opens the way for us to enter into a relationship with God. Easter is the day Jesus threw open wide the doors to heaven for everyone who will believe in him and receive him by faith. You see, every day is resurrection day because Jesus is alive. He is risen. Easter shares the greatest story that has ever been told. It shares the greatest news that has ever been told. Easter reveals the greatest love that has ever been displayed. Easter reveals the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again on the third day by the power of God and he walked out of the tomb alive. Jesus is alive, he is risen. We know this, we believe this, we celebrate this this morning. We don't believe in a dead man, we believe in the risen savior. We don't obey a dead man, we obey the risen savior. We don't pray to a dead man, we pray to the risen savior. We don't trust in a dead man, we trust in the risen savior. We don't worship a dead man, we worship the risen savior. We don't have a relationship with a dead man, we have a relationship with the risen savior, King Jesus, because he is alive. He is risen indeed. Say that with me, Jesus is alive, he is risen. Jesus is alive, he is risen. He is risen indeed. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. We rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. We tell others about the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. Christianity rises and falls based on the accuracy, reliability, and truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith in Jesus. John R.W. Stott, a noted pastor and author years ago, he said this, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. William Lane Craig, a noted author and Christian apologist today, said this, without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. We know today, we believe today, we celebrate today, Jesus is alive, he is risen. What if the resurrection of Jesus is a hoax, a lie, a sham? What would happen if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true? We find answers to these questions 
in God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, let me ask you to open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll begin this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the believers of the church in Corinth. And he devoted chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians to the topic and truth of the resurrection of Jesus. There is no chapter in all of God's word that is more devoted to the reality of the resurrection than this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The apostle Paul told us in this chapter what would happen if the resurrection isn't true. If the resurrection isn't true, we see several things in the Word of God. Beginning in verse 12, number one, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, Jesus is a dead man. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul said, listen, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then that means Jesus has not been raised. <clears throat> And if Jesus has not been raised, that means he's not the risen Savior. He's a dead man. He's not a conqueror. He was conquered. He's not a victor. He was a victim. He's not the deliverer. He was defeated. The believers in Corinth, quick background, were struggling at this point to understand the resurrection. Now, they believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but they were having trouble grasping the reality of their future resurrection. There were a couple of reasons for this. The believers in the church in Corinth uh, were made up of folks who had been saved by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus out of a pagan lifestyle, out of a, the, the Gentiles. They had come to faith in Christ Jesus, uh, Gentiles who had come out of a pagan lifestyle. And the church was also made up of Jews who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and had come from Judaism. And so we see there were two lines of thought. There were two teachings that still had influence on the minds of these believers as it relates to the resurrection, this issue, this topic of the resurrection. Some in the church were struggling to believe in the resurrection, their future bodily resurrection, because they were still dealing with the pagan philosophers who taught dualism at this time. Dualism said that body, matter, the physical, what we could touch, the physical is all bad. Spirit is good. So they were having trouble reconciling the goodness of a resurrected body. There were other believers in the church that were struggling with this concept of the resurrection because they were still dealing with the influence from the teachers, some of the Jewish religious leaders, the Sadducees, and they had taught because they believed that there is no resurrection from the dead. And so Paul was making it real clear to them. He just settled it for them. He said, hey, listen, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ is raised. And so you don't have to worry about anything because what that means is Jesus is a dead man. <clears throat> The second point he made is that if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, preaching is a waste of time. He said in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. Paul, the disciples and others were proclaiming, that means preaching and teaching. They were proclaiming in Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul said, hey, listen, if the resurrection isn't true, then those of us who are preaching that Jesus is alive, 
we're just simply wasting everybody's time. What we're doing is in vain. It's a colossal waste of time if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true. We continue and see that he says, third, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, believing in Jesus is useless. He continued to verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. He said, listen, if the resurrection isn't true, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then believing that Jesus is alive is senseless, it's useless, it's worthless. He then continued and shared that if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then preachers and witnesses of Jesus are liars. He said in verse 15, moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. So Paul was saying, hey, listen, preachers and teachers and witnesses of Jesus, those who are preaching and teaching and sharing that Jesus is alive, Paul included himself in this group. He said, listen, we are false witnesses. We are liars. We are deceivers if in fact Jesus has not been raised. He said, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then we are liars. He continued here in verse 16, and he said, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, we are separated from God. We're still separated from God. He said in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. He said, if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then your faith in him is useless. As Paul told us in Romans 4 and verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul was making the point throughout the New Testament that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the evidence, it's the proof, it's the verification, it's the confirmation that Almighty God accepted the suffering, the sacrifice and death of his son, Jesus Christ, as the payment of our sin. And it's the verification, the confirmation, the proof, the evidence that faith in Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God. And so he's saying and making this point, if Jesus wasn't raised, we're still lost in our sins. If Jesus wasn't raised, we have no forgiveness of sins. If Jesus wasn't raised, then we are still separated from God because of our sin against God. If Jesus wasn't raised, we have no way to get to God. If Jesus wasn't raised, then we have no hope of an eternity in heaven when we die. And then he shared his final point. If the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then we are pitiful people. Pitiful. He said in verse 19, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than everyone. He said, hey, listen, understand. If the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. He's a dead man then we, followers of Jesus, are to be pitied more than anybody else because if Jesus has not been raised, if the resurrection isn't true, then we should just eat, drink, and be merry like everybody else because when we die, that's it. It's over. That's all, folks. 
What he's saying is if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, we are in bad, bad shape. We are pitiful people. Praise God we know this morning that the resurrection of Jesus is true. He is alive. He is risen. Amen? We know this. We know that this chapter doesn't end with verse 19. Praise God. There's a verse 20 and beyond. Look at what verse 20 says. But as it is, Christ has been raised. Say that with me. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul boldly declared, confidently declared that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. In part because he knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead because the resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul personally after his resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for everyone. We're not pitiful people. Tell your neighbor, you're not pitiful. Go. No, we're not pitiful Believing in Jesus, we're not pitiful people. We are passionate people about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. How do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is true? How do we know? We can shout it and say it, but how do we know the resurrection of Jesus is true? What we find answers to this questions in the Word of God. Luke gives us a great start. Acts chapter 1. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, that means after he had died on the cross, been buried, and after he rose again, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. Say that with me. Many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. How do we today know that the resurrection of Jesus is true? The reason we know the resurrection of Jesus is true is we have overwhelming evidence. Overwhelming evidence that points to the reality, to the truth that we can trust in, believe in, and live our lives based off of. And that reality is simply this, Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. As we read here, God has left us with many convincing proofs. So let's look at some of those convincing proofs this morning. Proofs that let us know today, for us personally, but also for us ministerially, as we go and reach out to the congregations that God places around us the rest of this week. We know Jesus is alive and we can go confidently to our congregations as Paul did to us here in 1 Corinthians 15 and let them know that Jesus is alive based on these convincing proofs. Number one, the Old Testament predicted the resurrection. The Old Testament predicted the resurrection. The Old Testament prophets and authors, they wrote about the resurrection of the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Listen to this, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. Long before it happened, the prophets were writing about it, teaching about it, telling everyone it's going to happen. 
Isaiah, one of these prophets, Isaiah 53 and verses 5 and 6, Isaiah said this, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Isaiah was prophesying about the life, death, and resurrection of the Savior, King Jesus. And we see all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, predicting the resurrection of Jesus. Paul himself told us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you look at verses 3 and 4, I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What are the scriptures that Paul is speaking of here? It's the Old Testament. Those are the scriptures. The New Testament was still being written, was still being collected, was still being brought into the canon of Scripture that we hold in our hands today. It's the Old Testament. The New Testament, disciples, the teachers, the preachers, the authors, they built the case, the reality of the resurrection based off of the Old Testament Scriptures. It was a powerful proof. The resurrection of Jesus is real. A second proof is that Jesus said he would rise again. Jesus himself said it. Matthew in his gospel records three different conversations that Matthew records that Jesus had with his disciples. And in each of these conversations, it was the same conversation. Jesus got with his guys and he said, hey, listen, guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be handed over to the authorities and I am going to be crucified. And then I will be raised on the third day. And we see the third of these conversations in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 17. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Just so you know, going up to Jerusalem is geographically correct. Jerusalem is in Southern Israel. It's up in the mountains. They literally were going up to Jerusalem. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, his, one of his favorite descriptions that he used for himself, the Son of Man, will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Jesus was clear about his mission from the beginning to the end. Jesus shared over and over again with his disciples and us today as we look at the scriptures exactly what was going to happen to him and what Jesus said would happen happened exactly as Jesus said it would happen another amazing proof to the resurrection the reality the truth that Jesus is alive the old testament predicted the resurrection we see that Jesus himself, he said, I'll rise again. A third proof is the empty tomb. The empty tomb is a powerful proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Peter Marshall, a former chaplain in the United States Senate and pastor, he said this, the stone was rolled away from the door, not to permit Christ to come out, but to enable the disciples to go in. The ladies, as we know, according to the gospel accounts, got to the tomb first and they got there and they looked and saw that it was empty. 
told the disciples Peter and John had a race. They raced one another to get to the tomb. And as they got to the tomb, they looked in and they saw it was empty. The soldiers guarding the tomb saw that the tomb was empty. The angel of the Lord, whom God sent, confirmed for us that the tomb was empty. And he shared this in Matthew 28. The angel of the Lord confirmed that the tomb was empty. And in Matthew 28 and verse 5, the angel of the Lord told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now watch this. I want you to see if you can pick this up. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Do you see this? Scripture is using the verifications here. They're using the proofs. The angel of the Lord is using a proof for the resurrection of Jesus. He said just as he said. That's our second one. We remember we just said that a convincing proof of the resurrection of Jesus is Jesus said I would rise again. The angel of the Lord is using this as a proof to share with the ladies that Jesus has risen. He said, he is not here for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And so they, once again, they saw, they looked. He's, he's not there. The empty tomb was so obvious to everybody that the Jewish religious leaders had to come up with an excuse to explain how the tomb was empty. I mean, everybody knew it. They all could see. Uh, there's nobody there. We don't know, but there's nobody there. And so the Jewish religious leaders, they came up with their plan. We get to read about it. It's right here in verse 11 of Matthew 28. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Can you imagine that report? How funny would that have been? After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. So there's the payout. And told them, say this. His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. As is the case with all excuses, that was lame. Come on, that's the best they could do. That wasn't very good at all. I mean, you just stop and think about it. Guards are called to guard, not sleep, right? They don't call them sleepers. They call them guards. They're supposed to guard. Listen, what we understand and realize at this point all the religious leaders had to do, all any soldier had to do was produce the dead body of Jesus. Produce the dead body of Jesus and Christianity crumbles. Produce the dead body of Jesus, Christianity never gets a start. Produce the dead body of Jesus and we're not here this morning doing what we're doing. Because there is no Christianity. There is no faith. If they could have produced the dead body of Jesus. They didn't because they couldn't because Jesus is alive. And we know this. And we believe this. Another proof is the post-resurrection appearances. 
We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, once again, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 5, after uh, Paul had said that Jesus was raised according uh, to the scriptures on the third day, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Most of them are still alive means most of them are still around to give testimony. You can go and talk to them. They'll tell you. Some have fallen asleep. That means some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Jesus appeared to his followers over a period of 40 days. He ate with them. He talked with them. He sat with them. He walked with them. No doubt he showed them his nail-scarred hands. Showed them his nail-scarred feet. No doubt showed his side where the spear went in. These were eyewitness accounts to the resurrected Jesus. Over 500 people saw him with their own eyes, heard him with their own ears. Over a period of 40 days, it would be next to impossible for this many people over this period of time to have been misled, confused, or caught up in some scheme to deceive people. Be almost impossible, as one psychologist said, for this many people to have the same hallucination would be a greater miracle than the resurrection itself. And we can understand that. Jesus appeared to his followers and disciples after his resurrection to let them know he was alive. Jesus appeared to his followers and disciples after the resurrection to let him know he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Jesus appeared to his followers and disciples after his resurrection to give them some words of encouragement and instruction before he left them to, as he would ascend to heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus appeared to Peter. Notice Peter was specified. He appeared to Peter after his resurrection. Why? So that he could tell good old Pete, hey, Pete, your failure isn't final. You see, we remember old Peter, last scene, he's denying Jesus three times. Jesus appears to Peter. gets Peter by himself. So he can look Peter in the eyes. Because I can't even imagine the guilt and the shame that Peter was carrying. So that he could say to Peter, hey man, your failure is not final, you're forgiven. And I'm going to use you in a major way to build up the church. These post-resurrection appearances, as Paul said, these people, the majority of them were still alive. For anyone who didn't believe, they could simply go and find them and they would say, hey, listen, here's the deal. 
He's alive. A powerful proof to the resurrection of Jesus. A fifth proof is the resurrection of Jesus was the main teaching point. The main teaching point in all of the services of the first church in Jerusalem and in the churches that followed, that were birthed, was the resurrection of Jesus. It was the main preaching and teaching point in the first church in Jerusalem. These disciples just couldn't stop teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus, that he's alive. If you went to the church in Jerusalem, you knew what the sermon was going to be about. You knew what the series was going to be titled, Jesus is Alive. You came back the next week, Jesus is still alive. Come back the next week, he's still alive. That was the main point. This teaching, the resurrection of Jesus, built up the believers in the first church. It helped to grow the first church in Jerusalem as it spread out throughout the Roman world. As the church continues to spread out today, you see, we're in the story today, this morning. We're a part of the unfolding glory of the risen Savior, King Jesus. But we also see that this story annoyed and bothered the Jewish religious leaders. In Acts chapter 4, I love this passage. Luke shares this with us. In Acts chapter 4, Luke is writing and he's telling the story about these disciples. And he says in verse 1, while they were speaking to the people, that means the disciples, Peter and John, the disciples were speaking to the people in Jerusalem. The priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. So that's the heavy-handed crew right there. Confronted them because they were annoyed. Say annoyed. Annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It was driving these folks crazy. And we see Peter and John and the disciples simply could not stop talking about and preaching about what they had seen and heard, that being the resurrected Jesus. If you continue reading in chapter 4, you'll find that Peter and John looked at the authorities and they basically said this, hey, listen, guys, you need to decide whether it's right for us to obey you rather than God. But we're telling you right now, we're obeying God, not you. And so we're not going to stop preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus that he's alive. So you do whatever you got to do to us. You do whatever you want because it's not going to make any impact on us. We're preaching Jesus. And so we see this was a powerful proof over and over and over. This was shared among the believers and the followers as that group of 500 grew into the thousands and as this group continues to grow today, including us. We see another powerful proof is the change in the disciples. The change in the disciples. The disciples were found denying Jesus, deserting Jesus, and running away from Jesus when Jesus was arrested, beaten, and crucified on the cross. And a couple of days later, all of a sudden, these same disciples are preaching and teaching Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the opposition, no matter the result, no matter who came against them, no matter what was said to them, they're preaching and teaching Jesus. What we know is the disciples were changed from cowards to conquerors, from wimps to warriors, because of one reason and one reason alone, Jesus is alive. They knew it. That made all the difference in the world. That changed everything. Jesus is alive. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 32, Peter, in this first sermon there in the church in Jerusalem, he said it this way. In verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are witnesses. We're all witnesses to this. No questions, no doubts. Jesus is alive. We're telling everybody. 
You see, what they realized is when they saw the risen Savior, they realized everything he had been teaching them was true. He is the risen King. He is the Messiah. He is the one the Old Testament prophesied about. He is the one who did what he said he was going to do. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the way to God the Father. He is our Savior. He is the way to new life. All of a sudden, they began to realize it's true. And we are going to spend whatever time we have left telling everybody that Jesus is alive. A seventh proof to the resurrection of Jesus is changed lives today. You see, God is still in the life-changing business today. Our lives and the lives of those around us by His grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Here you see, we need to grab hold of this. We need to make it personal now. Our lives should show evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Your life, my brother and sister in Christ, my life should show evidence today and every day of the difference that Jesus has made and is making in our lives. You see, as we bless as Jesus blessed, as we endure as Jesus endured, as we forgive as Jesus forgave, as we love as Jesus loved, as we live as Jesus lived, as we serve as Jesus served, we show evidence that Jesus is alive in us. We show evidence that he's alive, that his claims are true. We let everyone know that a relationship with God is possible. There is a life to come. There is a hope of heaven. And it's found in a relationship with God by faith in Jesus. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important for us today. It's real simple. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no way to get to God. You see, we're all sinners. Paul said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all said, thought, and done things that are unpleasing to God that Go against the truth of God's word. You see, we've all, as Isaiah prophesied, we've all turned away from God and gone our own way. We have all decided to live according to our will, wants, and wishes rather than according to the word, wishes, and wants of of our almighty God. The Bible says that there's none of us righteous, no, not one. So we understand that, that we're sinners. We need a savior. The reason is our sin against God separates us from God. And there's no amount of good works that we can do. There's no amount of times we can go to church. There's no amount of prayers that we can pray. There's no amount of money that we can give to the church. There's no amount of people that we can help. Although all those things are very good and necessary and important. There's not enough of all of those that we could ever do that would 
balance out our sin and allow us to earn or to merit or to deserve a relationship with God. You see, we need help. We need someone, quite honestly, who can take away our sins and bring us to God. Because we can't get there because of our sin against God. The good news from the cross, the good news from the empty tomb is Jesus is our savior. Now listen, there's only one requirement that you have to meet in order to have a relationship with God. And let me make sure I share this because it's true. I don't wanna leave anything out. There's only one requirement to have a relationship with God, be perfect. There you go, that's it. Be perfect. God's perfect and holy. If you wanna have a relationship with the perfect and holy God, that means you gotta be perfect and holy. Well, we've obviously failed to meet that requirement due to our sin against God. However, Jesus is our substitute. He took our place on the cross. He paid our price for our sin. He met God's requirement to be perfect for you and for me. You see, Jesus met God's requirement for a perfect and holy sacrifice to be made so that we who are imperfect and unholy could be made right with a perfect and holy God. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He was tempted just as you are and as I am, yet he never sinned. He died a perfect death on the cross. He was buried in a tomb and he was raised by the power of God victorious over sin and death for you and for me. Jesus, the risen King, King Jesus is the only one who can take us and bring us to God the Father. Because you see, when God sees us, the blood of his son that washes away our sins. And he welcomes us, not based on us, not based on religion, not based on tradition, not based on works, based on his son's sacrifice for our sins. Lee Strobel, is a noted author and Christian apologist. Today, he goes around the world speaking uh, and holding debates. Uh, and his obvious side is in defense of the gospel and defense of the resurrection of Jesus. And his story that he has shared in many of his books is when he and his wife got married, they were both uh, unbelievers. They weren't followers of Jesus Christ when they got married. And, they were both highly successful, highly successful, living the lives that they've always wanted to live, more money than they knew what to do with. And then he said one day his wife came home and let him know that she had placed her faith in Jesus Christ. Immediately he said, I started noticing a change at home. She stopped doing the things she was doing before and I just noticed this change. And he said, I didn't like it. 
So he said, I went to my editor. At this time, he was a writer for one of the major Chicago publications. He said, I went to my editor and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to do a series of articles. And I'm going to disprove Christianity. He said, I'm going to research, I'm going to interview all the supposed top people in the church, all the supposed top Christian thinkers, and I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to produce it in a series, and I'm going to disprove Christianity. I'm going to let my wife know what she's believing in is not true. He said over the course of his research, as he was doing research, he was flying around interviewing all these top minds according to the Word of God and understanding different things. He specifically focused in on the resurrection of Jesus because he knew how central the resurrection is to Christianity. And he said to himself, much to his surprise, this former atheist, he said, he said, the more I talked, the more I listened, the more I researched, he says, I was convinced. The claims of Jesus Christ. He said, I became convinced that the resurrection is true. And he said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He said these words, if we were holding a trial to determine the facts concerning the resurrection, and if we were to call to the witness stand every witness who personally encountered the resurrected Jesus, and if we cross-examined them for only 15 minutes, and if we went around the clock without a break, we would be listening to firsthand testimony for 128 hours. That's over five days worth of testimony. Who could possibly walk away unconvinced? The evidence is in, the case has been made, the verdict has been read. Jesus is alive, he is risen. Amen, amen, amen. We can enter a relationship with God. We can receive forgiveness of sins. We can have the hope of eternity in heaven one day by believing in Jesus, repenting of our sins, and receiving God's gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. John shared these words, for those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, for those who believe in his name. Jesus is alive. Let's receive Jesus by faith. Let's rejoice in Jesus through faith. Let's love one another like Jesus. And let's renew our commitment to tell everyone that Jesus is alive. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's going to come.